Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Infrastructure imminent, the U.S. Senate voting on a trillion-dollar spending plan. China change, SoftBank cuts Chinese investment until regulatory risks become clearer. And messy moves, the football star is off to Paris Saint-Germain. It's Tuesday, let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move. Plenty to get to this hour, including movie chain AMC letting you exchange Bitcoin for a blockbuster. A crypto tax agreement in Congress proving hard to muster. SoftBank says long-term China has not lost its lustre. And as always on the show, we cut through the bluster. The action in global markets, however, lack lustre. US futures little changed after a mostly flat Monday. Europe treading water too. Investors are waiting, as I've mentioned already, a crucial US Senate vote today on the $1 trillion infrastructure spending bill. A tax tightening on the crypto industry and set, at least in part, to help pay for it. But of course, the bigger challenge will be passing it in the House. We've got all the details on that coming up very shortly. As the probability, though, of more fiscal support rises, so does the likelihood that monetary support reduces. The president of the Boston Federal Reserve saying the Federal Reserve should announce its tapering plan next month as we see jobs growth accelerate. Stronger growth in the United States, but still a world filled with COVID uncertainty. Oil trying to rebound after hitting three-week lows yesterday on concerns that global growth will undershoot, particularly in the Asia region. Malaysia, Indonesia, the Philippines and Vietnam still seeing major COVID spikes. Cases in Malaysia and Vietnam hitting fresh records yesterday. And despite the concerns, however, as you can see there, China and Hong Kong stocks heading higher, but the COVID spectra in the region looming large. All right, let's get to the drivers and the stimulus struggle in Congress. The U.S. Senate is set to vote within hours on a massive spending bill for infrastructure like roads and bridges. The legislation expected to pass, but what happens next may be a bridge too far. Christine Romans joins us now. Christine, great to have you back. Talk to me about what we expect, because even if we see the Senate passes, and it is a big deal, it's a bipartisan agreement. If it passes, the question is what comes next will determine whether or not we see this essential money for infrastructure spending in the United States. Yeah, and just a look at that money first. One point two trillion is the size of the package. Five hundred and fifty billion in new spending. And look, this has been investing in infrastructure in America has been an intelligence test that Congress has failed now for years. So let's just mark the moment here that they're making bipartisan project on investing in roads, bridges, internet, uh, airports, transit, all of these important things that make America more competitive and make companies more money and help people save more money and time and be more productive. Now, what happens to it in the House? Will there be demands from progressives that need to be met? And also, you see this three and a half 
trillion dollar Democratic uh, budget resolution blueprint. Where does that fit in next here? There has been some talk that uh, that will go first before the House will take up this measure or they want them in tandem. So there are some political ramifications here surrounding what at its core is a bipartisan agreement here on new spending for infrastructure, new investing for infrastructure in America, Julia. Yeah, and you can blame the Republicans for being unwilling to spend that kind of size money. But there's plenty of moderate Democrats that are going to look at that three and a half trillion dollars and go, uh uh, absolutely no way. And that sort of brings me to the next question, which is paying for this or at least a piece of paying for this coming on potentially taxing the activities of of those involved in uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, There was some suggestion that perhaps that tax would send people fleeing to other shores, specifically miners involved in cryptocurrencies, also innovators in this space. What are we looking towards this uh, honing in and focusing on? I think the most important part of this is the mere fact that there are senators who actually started talking about tax requirements for cryptocurrency in legislation. <laughs> Let's point. be honest. That might be the very, the very starting point here is that you have senators who, uh, you know, what the average age of senators, according to our story, is somewhere in their, in their mid to late 60s, that they are addressing a very new frontier in, uh, in, in, in the currency world and in, in, um, and in finance. And that, I think, to me, is the only thing that is certain here. Where it goes from here, I'm not sure. But the fact that you have them at least addressing this issue that's what I think might be the true headline there. That's such a great point, actually, Christine. Actually talking like they know what they're talking about in this space as well is, um, <laughs> quite frankly, is, is, is fascinating. Now, I have to talk to you about something else as well, because while we're talking about navigating these stormy stimulus seas and, um, and crypto as well, you were navigating your own waves. And we have a video that you showed on Twitter, and I watched this several times. You are so legendary. Look at this. You are so cool. It is a sea of spending, my dear, that we have to look through every single page and every single paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> for the sea of spending that we are about to be navigating The treat of the month. <laughs> Never mind anything else. <laughs> thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Everybody okay. has to have a vacation, Julia. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. You certainly utilized yours well. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, soft bank softenings on China, at least for now. The Japanese giant is cutting back on new investments in China while Beijing's tech crackdown plays out. Claire Sebastian joins me now. Claire, this is a tough one because these results come out overnight, I know. So it's a case of burning the midnight oil to understand what on earth is going on here. But I think for our viewers, they need to understand how leveraged the vision fund within SoftBank is to Chinese investments, investments like Diddy. So when these guys come out and say, at least in the shorter term, we're pretty cautious, people sit up and take note. Yeah, this is clearly an earnings report that shows that the landscape has somewhat shifted for, mm. for SoftBank, Julia. In the last quarter, they posted a record annual profit now, and they had a lot of excitement about some of their, their listings, their, their investments that were going public in this quarter, the likes of DD and Full Truck Alliance, which is a sort of a, a, a ride-hailing uh, startup for, for trucks. Now we see what's happened there. This, of course, will be uh, more reflected in the current quarter, but it shows that the way that they're starting to think about this, the excitement appears to be waning. So some quotes from Masa Son, the CEO of SoftBank. He says they're, they're taking a cautious approach now. They're going to wait and see a while. He doesn't know how long that's going to be for. He says, is it six months, 12 months? 
I don't know yet. He says there are still risks out there. But then again, this is Masasan. He says we want to take risks. So as you say, shorter term, they're looking a little bit more cautious. We can see in the numbers that the deceleration had started to happen even before we saw what happened with Didi. They they said that 23% of SoftBank's Vision Fund investment portfolio was in Chinese companies at the end of July. But during the quarter, only 11% of the investment、uh, was directed towards Chinese companies. So it looks like even before this had started to happen, they were pulling back. They were diversifying a, a little bit, but. Their broader thesis that there's an opportunity in China apparently remains unchanged over the long term. Yeah, it's quite fascinating, isn't it? Because they saw what an 11 billion dollar gain in in the Vision Fund, and this is the beauty of mark to market, as in paper gains or paper losses, when you don't have a listed company, so you can't look at the share price change and take a snapshot and say. Okay, this is what we lost and this is what we gained. On these sort of off-market or non-listed companies, you you look at what you think they're worth on a month-to-month basis, and and you adjust and and your、uh, your balance sheet reflects that, your profit and loss statement reflects that. In the case of something like Didi, for example, the snapshot here is is very favourable, but then of course we know what happened. After the IPO and the concerns over China, and of course that fell down, and that will be reflected in the next quarter. They talked about diversification, Claire, in the interim into the United States, into places like India. What do we know about that? Diversifying into other assets in other locations. Yeah, this is something that's that's certainly important to the company. We see it in the different investments that they have around the world. That they're, they're they're trying to sort of take that their their broader investment thesis that that AI is the future. Looking at fintech, looking at edtech,、uh, looking at sort of e-commerce,、uh, Flipkart, things like that. That they are sort of trying to apply that around the world, not just in China. Don't forget though. Their biggest asset of all remains Alibaba. That stock, really, sort of the poster child, the very first target of China's current regulatory sort of crackdown, if you want to call it that. That stock. Very much down. It's down almost forty percent since its highs in October last year, when all of this started. So that is something to watch very closely as well with SoftBank, even as we see this sort of move to diversify over the shorter term. Yeah, Chinese startups accounting for twenty three percent of the Vision Fund's portfolio in terms of fair value. That's a lot of Chinese exposure. Claire Sebastian, great job. Thank you so much for that. And、uh, whoever was knocking on the door there, you can go and answer it. Okay, let's move on.、Uh, pay for your popcorn with a bit of Bitcoin. Theatre chain AMC says it will soon accept the cryptocurrency as payment for movie tickets and snacks. AMC also reported strong second quarter results as moviegoers returned to the theatres. Paul and Monica joins me now. Paul, great to have you with us too. So there's two themes here for me. The first one is the recovery of. Businesses like cinema chains that, of course, had people stay away because of COVID and the recovery that we see, and then with AMC, of course, it's also a classic meme stock as well, where sometimes the price gets a little bit inflated or a lot inflated over the fundamentals. Let's talk about the business itself, and then we can talk about、um, the meme madness. Yeah, the the business is getting better. Clearly, you've seen. Theaters now are fully reopened. You have people going to see blockbusters like Black Widow, and that is good for AMC. And it is why revenue was much better than expected. But we do have to be careful here. And even、uh, you know, the CEO of AMC pointed out, Julia, on the conference call, they're still losing money. They're still burning cash. There's a light at the end of the proverbial tunnel, but they haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, I mean it's a lot easy to run a company that's burning cash when your stock price is up six hundred and fifty-six percent in the past twelve months and fourteen, 
1,494%. I'm just doing the math year to date. I could be a little bit off there. Um, that helps you raise money. And clearly they've done that. But then you have to sort of cater to the audience. And on this investor call, they were being asked about potential types with GameStop, another meme stock, of course. And they made the announcement about Bitcoin. What do we think, Paul? Yeah. Yeah, AMC made the announcement about Bitcoin on the conference call that they will start accepting that as a uh, payment form later in the year. They're going to do the same with Apple Pay and Google Pay as well. But Julia, as you noted, what really struck me about this conference call was that the CEO quickly turned over the questions to members of the audience. They had you know, people, individual investors on AMC's Investor Connect platform submit questions for the conference call. At the very end, they found the time to take one question from a solitary Wall Street analyst who was on the call. This seems to be a stock that a lot of professionals on Wall Street quite honestly don't really care about, but there is a fervor among retail traders on Reddit. Yeah, there is. And this is a hugely important point and it's been transformative, as he said as well, I think, on the call. I mean, what is laser tag, by the way? Do you, do you know what laser tagging is? Because that was one of the other things that some of these uh, retail investors were asking whether they'd considered um, expanding into family entertainment offerings like laser tag. And he said, look, if the board were on board with authorizing more stock issues, then we might have more leeway to um, cater to some of these growth initiatives. Um, are we a cinema chain or are we not a cinema I chain? When I was a kid. That's, uh, those days are a long time ago, as you can tell from the gray in my here. It is interesting because you saw some of those questions, Julia. You even had one uh, investor asking if AMC would adopt a gorilla as its corporate mascot, a clear nod to the apes on Reddit, the so-called apes that have been helping to drive this stock price higher. It's silly season on Wall Street, Julia. But what, what did he say, Paul? Enjoy it while you can. Get your popcorn ready. Like a <laughs> football. <laughs> we will take it under consideration. Now buy more stock, please. Paula Monica. That, that was me speaking as a CEO, by the way. Not, not, not suggesting that to our viewers. Be very careful with my naughtiness. Paula Monica, thank you for that. All right. Let me bring you up to speed with some of the other stories making headlines around the world. Greece's prime minister calls it a natural disaster of unprecedented proportions. Nearly 600 wildfires have been burning across the country, forcing thousands to flee. As firefighters battle the flames, the nation is enduring a brutal heat wave. Greece's second largest island, Evia, has been at the centre of the storm. And CNN's Eleni Jokos joins us now from there live. Eleni, we had you on the show yesterday. You were talking about how devastating it is. Talk to me about what you're seeing right there now, because I can see stuff going on behind you. Julia, I, you know, we've been here on this patch since this morning. A fire that started about a kilometer down and then it spread all the way just before we came on air. Fire started here. They, had, they didn't have enough water. So eventually they found a, a truck with a bit of water. They've been lacking resources and just so intense that it's con constantly spreading. This is a problem. This is a pine kernel. And basically it jumps from one tree to the next. And if you look across from this side, it was contained on one side. Eventually it goes onto the other side, decimating more forest. Um, half of Evia has been burnt already according to official numbers. Now this is definitely still very much a crisis situation. It's in its eighth day. What is encouraging, here's a um, 
What is encouraging, though, uh, Slovakia sent teams. They arrived this morning. We spent some time with them. Without their assistance, uh, in conjunction with the local firefighting teams, this uh, this fire that broke out earlier would have been uh, one that just decimated kilometers of forest. In fact, it took them hours to put it out a few hours ago further down. Um, but you've seen the eradication of virgin forestry uh, and, of course, livelihoods. Now, people rely on the production of resin from pine trees. They rely on honey and various other plantations. So the economic impact is going to be absolutely enormous. The Prime Minister, Kiriakos Mitsotakis, has apologized for uh, the weakness uh, that existed with the reaction to the fires, the wildfires in parts of Greece. There was a big focus around Athens. But places like Evia were left to their own devices, and locals are angry. They say it's already too late, despite the fact that you see we have to move, despite the fact that you see teams from Cyprus, from Romania, and various other countries coming to assist Greek firefighters. It is scorchingly hot here, as you see. Uh, a lot of uh, heat waves hitting the country, and that is compounding the issue. The whole point now is to try and contain its spread. And as I mentioned, half of Evia has already been burned down. The question is now, Julia, how quickly can they get, uh, can they get this fire under control? They keep running out of water. It's just very difficult to try and, and put out some of these intense fires, Julia. We are going to be hearing from government in a couple of hours to talk about more measures. But in the meantime, volunteers, international crews, local firefighters are trying to do the best they can. Yeah, we can see that behind you. We can hear the urgency and the voices behind you too. Um, Eleni, thank you so much for that report. Just, just very quickly, and I know it's noisy there too, if you can hear me. Do they have any sense of, of to what extent they've contained this now? Or is it just a case of continuing to, to fight these fires? So when we woke up this morning, we had great news that all the fires were basically under control and there were no new fire fronts. Um, and now we're sitting with a situation with uh, re the reignite, uh, you know, fires being reignited because it's not enough to get it under control and to put it out. You also have to make sure that you saturate the soil with water to ensure that it doesn't start. And you're just constantly seeing fires being restarted. When I spoke to another local journalist earlier who's been here for eight days, he says that, look, they're still very much in crisis mode. Hopefully in the next two days, with the assistance of international uh, firefighting teams, hopefully that will make an impact. Keep our fingers crossed. Eleni, stay safe there, please. Eleni Jokos yeah. in Greece. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to First Move. World leaders are under pressure to take bold steps ahead of the upcoming climate summit COP26. Britain will host it in Glasgow in November. Prime Minister Boris Johnson says the UN climate report released Monday needs to be a wake-up call to act now. French President Emmanuel Macron says the summit must produce a deal that recognises the gravity of the situation. The report laid out how the world is heating up much faster than expected, entirely due to human activity and with devastating consequences. Co Barrett is vice chair of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, the UN body responsible for producing the report. And she joins us now. Co, fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Um, the UN Secretary General described this as code red for humanity. We'll talk about the details of the report, but I just wanted to get your sense of some of the reaction that we've seen. Do you think people are alarmed enough about the changes that are taking place to our planet? 
Well, first, let me say thank you, Julia, for having me today and having a chance to talk about this important report that so many scientists from across the globe um, came together to produce. Uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of the coverage by world leaders. And um, from what I've seen, they are taking this seriously. Um, people may not know, but you know, the, these reports have always fed into climate negotiations going way back to the beginning um, of our work in the um, 1990s. Which is, which is a great point, and they feed into the negotiations over what we need to do, but then it's the action that follows or, or doesn't follow, I think, that's the critical factor. Do you hope this is now used as evidence for those going into these meetings in November to say, actually, we need to do more, we need to tackle this today, tomorrow, whether it's governments, whether it's businesses, whether it's us as individuals? I would say that I, I think every scientist who worked on this report would love to see this considered um, in the work that world leaders are about to tackle in Glasgow. Um, these are the strongest findings the IPCC has ever put out about the connection between human activity and climate change. And that is a wake-up call. You know, this report was 3,949 pages, I believe. And normally I have a policy of not getting people on to talk about reports or books unless I've read them. But I apologize. <laughs> I've not had a chance to, to read the whole thing. I can't promise I will either. But I have read the subset, the 40 or so pages for, for policymakers. And on page 24, and this is something that I, I think everybody should take a look at, you sort of map out the frequency of extreme events, whether they're droughts or extremely high temperatures or, or flooding events that we've seen. And in the period between 1850 and 1900, the frequency, for example, of an extreme temperature event was once a decade. And you then map the increasing likelihood as the Earth's temperature rises above pre-industrial temperatures and the increased frequency upon which we see these extreme events and also not only the increased frequency, but also the extremities, the increase in temperatures, for example, or the amount of flooding. I think people need to understand the degree upon which the Earth's atmosphere and the Earth itself in terms of temperature flooding, these extreme events that we're seeing every day are going to accelerate in frequency and in extremity. Yes. Well, you know, I think the report, as you noted, Julia, it talks about how temperature is rising faster than we've ever seen. In fact, faster than we even we predicted three years ago. Um, for example, the last four decades, each of the last four decades has been warmer than any decade before since 1800. But you're pointing to the changes that we're seeing in the global water cycle, which is the lifeblood of the planet, frankly. And the report does find that we will see more frequent and intense heavy rainfall events, droughts. Uh, we will see melting, further melting of ice sheets and glaciers. The seas are rising. And importantly, the ocean is becoming warmer and acidic. And all of these things change with every fraction of a degree that the earth gets warmer. Can you map that to what happens for humans as a result? Because you did do several scenarios. And in the most extreme example, we're talking about a, a degree of warming above pre-industrial temperatures that is above around 3%, but you go up to um, above 5%, actually. And I'll go back to the 50-year um, extreme temperature event once every 50 years in our history. At the present, we're talking about it being 4.8 times in, in 50 years. If we get the Earth's temperature above 
four degrees, we're starting to look at that happening 39 times in 50 years. That's exactly right. And I think one of the strengths of this report is the way that the scientists have been able to attribute these changes that we're seeing now, but also the changes that are projected for the future to human activity. Yeah. I think one of the big pushbacks that I've received, having talked about it in the last 24 hours, is is people saying, it's made up. Why should I believe this report if I don't believe that, that climate change is being caused by humans or exists at all? How do you fight that, Co? Well... To that, I will say that this report uh, represents the most robust evidence the IPCC has ever produced on the physical aspects of climate change. And, you know, we are seeing the effects of climate change in every region of the planet, from the tops of the highest mountains to the deepest areas of the sea. And um, while it is sobering, um, you know, we are seeing that places on Earth where there's no human footprint, where no human has even gone, we are now seeing the, the effects of our global carbon fruit footprint. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. We recently spoke to the, the head of the IEA, and he said that we need to see an immediate end to investment in fossil fuels. Would you agree with that, having looked at the evidence of, of this report, we have to take extreme measures, as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview today. Are you, in light of the findings of this, in favour of that as just one piece of tackling this? Well, Julia, you know, as scientists, we, we are very careful to stay in our lane and not to opine on specific policies, um, although our reports do assess the um, impact of various policies. And in right. fact, We'll have a report coming out in March that will look specifically at those those types of issues. Okay. I was trying to uh, get you to comment on something. I feel like we all have to get out of our lanes on this subject, quite <laughs> frankly, because it's that urgent. Um, one of the other things that I found quite frightening was the fact that a lot of the damage that's already been done can't be reversed. All we're talking yeah. about is slowing or stopping what we're doing already. Talk to me about that. Yeah, there is no going back from some changes in the climate system. So many are slow processes, right? So um, sea level rise or changes in the ocean or changes in the ice sheets. Um, some of those changes are now entrained for centuries or more. But um, with immediate large-scale and sustained reductions in greenhouse gases, we can slow or even stop some of the impacts. For example, Um, While glaciers may continue to melt for a couple of decades, we could slow them or stop their retreat. So there is hope in this report because it is hard hitting. It's it's pretty devastating when you look at the the, the contours of it and the scenarios that you map. But there's hope, too, because it's in our hands to to tackle this. You know, um, seeing the response of world leaders uh, to the report and hearing the voices of youth across the planet for years now, I think back to 1962 and Rachel Carson, the author of Silent Spring and the catalyst of the modern environmental movement, addressed the graduates of Scripps College. And she said, the stream of time moves forward and mankind moves with it. Your generation must come to terms with the environment. You must face realities instead of taking refuge in ignorance and evasion of truth. 
Yours is a grave and sobering responsibility, but also a shining opportunity. You go out in a world where mankind is challenged as it has never been challenged before to prove its maturity and mastery, not of nature, but of itself. And therein lies our hope and destiny. And when I think back to that, I think we can we can't place this moment in a better context than that. Beautifully said, too. I've got a fog in my throat. Um, let's hope. Co, fantastic to have you on. Thank you so much. And um, wow, what a report. I'll keep wading through. Co Barrett, Vice Chair of the IPCC. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye for bye. Your time today. The market opens next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. No Tuesday tingle on Wall Street. The U.S. majors relatively unchanged. A bit of consolidation perhaps going on here. But the Dow and the S&P are still near record highs. And I think that's the key. The energy sector getting a bounce too after Monday's pullback on global growth concerns. Markets are also bracing for important U.S. inflation data tomorrow that could help guide the Federal Reserve in its debate over future tapering and, of course, the timing of it. A double feature for AMC investors, meanwhile. Shares of the U.S. cinema chain are rallying after reporting a narrower-than-expected loss, as we've already discussed on the show. AMC also announcing that Bitcoin is ready for its close-up. The firm will soon allow customers to pay for tickets and snacks with crypto, should they choose to. Bitcoin now trading above the 46,000 level. That said, investors, though, closely watching the debate in Congress over whether to tax crypto players to help pay for new stimulus. The crypto industry trying to limit those tax reporting requirements to just a small subset of the industry, and they will fight on. OK, let's bring it back to our top story today. And the messages we were discussing before the break from the IPCC is clear. Tackle climate change to save planet Earth as we know it. Over the past 20 years, temperatures have risen more than one degree since pre-industrial times. That means that where our ancestors saw extreme temperature events once a decade, we now see it near three times a decade. Where they saw extreme drought once a decade, we're going to see it nearly twice as often. And unless we halt global warming, things could deteriorate even further. Another three-degree increase would result in more than nine extreme heat episodes a decade and three times as many floods with 30% more rain. My next guest says to combat that kind of change, we need data, specifically space data. Joining us now is Chad Anderson, managing partner of Space Capital. Chad, fantastic to have you on the show. We were just having a discussion with one of those that helped contribute to the IPCC report, and we were talking about some of the extreme temperatures, the events that we might see. Now I want to talk about tackling it. Your view on their report, what do we need well, so there's been a lot of, of chatter lately about the extravagance of space travel. And what we wanted to do with our report was really to reframe the conversation and, and highlight the, you know, that we wouldn't even know about climate change if it weren't for space. The, the challenges that we're facing are, are global and they require a global perspective. And space technology plays a foundational role in, in the emerging and growing climate market. Have. NASA has been, you know, gathering data and observations for decades, um, which has led to these early warnings and the warnings that we're seeing now, and also to the early voluntary carbon markets. But these haven't been scalable. They've really relied on a lot of in-person assessments, um, which make them impractical. And, and frankly, we need more measurements. How accurate are they? Even when we're just assessing um, an individual business's carbon emissions right up to a nation state to be able to transact in a marketplace where you trade 
carbon emissions, for example, you kind of need to know what your emissions actually are and what your output is in order to actually do good for the planet. Otherwise, we may still see heating as we are seeing. That's exactly right. And I mean, the two biggest priorities right now are measurements and markets. Right. Without meaningful measurements, we can't get to scalable markets. And a lack of direct measurement is really what's preventing these climate markets from scaling up and is preventing us from building the types of solutions that can withstand and, and stand up to independent validation, which is not necessarily the case today. So, so you can't do, um, I was just going to say you can't do appropriate risk management for this if we're not measuring accurately. That's exactly right. And I mean, that's the, the big gap right now is that what nations and are 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 reporting is there's been a study over you know the period between 2005 to 2015 and there was um, a massive gap in what was being reported um, versus what was being um, uh, validated independently and I mean that's all changing today we've got a thousand earth observation satellites but we're really just scratching the surface cloud and and artificial intelligence are, are combining they're enabling us to process and interpret these vast volumes of information and these huge data sets. And that's all making it possible for um, businesses and, and new companies to build applications for specific users. And we're starting to see that being adopted in agriculture, energy, transportation, uh, waste management. And it's really helping the businesses to improve their operations, but it's also enabling the financial markets to price in these externalities. How big was the gap, Chad? that you just mentioned, because it was what I was sort of getting at too, this gap, it seems, between actual emissions and what independent models perhaps are saying businesses, nations are emitting. Do we have a sense of how big that gap is? Well, so over that 10-year period, it was 5.5 gigatons. So massive. Um, and one of our portfolio companies, GHGSAT, is monitoring facility-level emissions from space using satellites. And in Q2 alone they identified 150 um, megatons. So, you know, there's big, big discrepancies. Yeah, which is why despite best efforts, at least at this stage, far more needs to be done than we're doing simply because we, we know based on these kind of assessments that we're way off in terms of our estimates of the impact that we're having. Okay, so independent investment in this space, because to your point, and you mentioned your portfolio or a portfolio company, we are seeing more investment money pumped into this space. I believe $51 billion in, in 2021 is expected alone, which is yeah. great news. But private investment isn't enough. Are you having conversations? Are governments having conversations about recognizing their limitations? Because this is not one business or one nation. Every nation, like the COP26, need to work together on this. We need accurate assessment of who's admitting what. Well, that's exactly right. And I mean, we need this data to enable the um, commercial markets, but also um, to enable governments to um, enact policy and regulation. On the finance side, though, it, the, you know, there's a lot of really interesting um, things happening on the innovation front um, with new companies starting up and being funded with venture capital. But you've also got large asset managers um, using their influence like BlackRock um, has said that they are working to net zero across their portfolio, um, which is massive. You got TPG and Brookfield, each have con um, committed uh, $12 billion to invest. In, and like you said, we're expecting $50 billion in investment into this category, the, the, the climate category, in this year alone, which is a record. 
So we're seeing a lot of really positive signs here. And what we know for sure and what's come out of this um, IPCC report is that, you know, we have the, the, the science and we have the technology to understand and address the greatest challenges and also take advantages of the greatest opportunities of our time. And we're going to, we've been doing that and we're going to continue doing that through the data that we're collecting from space. Chad, very quickly, because I have about 30 seconds. The last 50 years have been devastating, according to this report. Based on the science, the innovation, the investment that you're seeing, are you confident that actually we know enough now and we're learning enough about what we're not doing to do better in the next 50 years? The pace of innovation is making me very optimistic. We have the, you know, the companies in our portfolio are doing some amazing things from um, monitoring the emissions um, uh, at the facility level, launching, launching new sensors that are giving us a more complete data set, um, distributing this data and also enabling and building the applications that are enabling the carbon markets of the future. Fantastic. Chad, get to Glasgow, please. We need you there in November to uh, educate you. some of these policymakers on where the money needs to be invested. Chad, great to have you with us. Chad Anderson, Managing Partner of Space Capital there. We're back after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move and football star Lionel Messi has just arrived in Paris. That's according to Reuters. You are about to see live pictures. French media report he will sign with the local club PSG after leaving Barcelona. Let's get straight to CNN's Saskia Van Dorn, who is tracking his arrival for us. Saskia, and I can see crowds of people behind you who are clearly very excited at this moment to get a glimpse of him. Exactly, Julia. The long wait might almost be over. And so we're here at Le Bourget Airport, just north of Paris, and just take a look at all the fans that have been amassing all morning here, just waiting to catch a glimpse of the legend that is Lionel Messi. So here they're all, they all are, hundreds of them. There's now a police perimeter that's been set up as well. And it's not just here at Le Bourget that fans are amassing. You've got some that are at the Parc des Princes, the PSG stadium, waiting to catch a glimpse of Messi over there. You've got others that are waiting in front of the American hospital, as that is where PSG players get their medicals done. So we, we may see Messi any minute now, but at the moment, it's just a wait and see. Um, and as I said, you know, the fans have been waiting since yesterday, some of them. Others came early this morning, um, and they just cannot wait to, to catch a glimpse of, the, of their football star. I'm trying to decide who's more excited, you or them. Um, what do we know, Saskia, while we wait in case, uh, in case he pops up somewhere around there? Um, what do we know about what the contours of this deal might look like with, with PSG? Because, of course, there's been wild speculation. Well, we know that it's going to be a two-year contract, um, but we expect more of the details to be unveiled tomorrow during a press conference. This is what French media um, are reporting, that there'll be a press conference tomorrow uh, at the Parc des Princes, where we should be getting more of the details then. And I just want to talk about how significant, you know, this is for PSG to sign someone like Messi. You know, PSG is one of the only clubs that was really able to spend the kind of money needed to sign uh, Messi. And you'll remember that, you know, four summers ago, they signed Neymar, they signed, they signed Mbappe, and now they will be getting Messi. So, you know, three big football stars. And it's going to be up to the manager, Maurizio Pochettino, to be able to try and handle all three of those uh, players together, which is probably quite a nice problem to have. Uh, now, Messi... So we've, we've got some fans who are starting to 
to think that they've seen a they've seen a plane, but we haven't seen anything quite yet. <laughs> and everybody keeps think, thinking they've seen a plane, they've seen him coming out of the doors. quite yet, Julia. Yeah, what my audience just saw was me desperately waving because I wanted to ask you another question there and I was just trying to buy myself more time. To go back to what you were saying about the acquisitions that PSG have made, I mean, they literally have no excuse now not to win the Champions League, surely. Absolutely, and that's what all the fans have been telling us uh -huh. here, that now they have that's such it. great hopes for the Champions League. Um, and in fact, many of them are already talking about uh, actually this uh, game on Saturday, this home game for the Ligue 1. Um, people are hoping to see whether Messi might be on the pitch. We don't know anything about that yet, uh, but PSG will be playing this Saturday. So uh, there'll be all eyes on, on the stadium there. And actually, Julia, it will be the first time that the stadium there, the PSG stadium, will be at full capacity uh, ever since the pandemic hit. Uh, so PSG are expecting to welcome 50,000 uh, supporters this Saturday. Wow. That will be some event. Saskia, I'm going to let you go. We'll leave you with the fireworks and the singing and we will come back to you if there is a sighting. So uh, stay ready and prepared. I know you are. Saskia van Dorn there in Paris. Thank you so much. I will much. let you know. <laughs> I know you will. Coming up after the break, calling Tom Brady fans everywhere. His image is part of an NFT, a non-fungible token drop of sports stars. We're very sportcastic today. I'll explain after the break. Welcome back to First Move. The quarterback Tom Brady, the golf pro Tiger Woods, the tennis star Naomi Osaka and the skateboarder Tony Hawk. What do they all have in common? Images of these sporting stars are among those to be immortalized as NFTs. Yes, non-fungible tokens we've been talking about so much on this show. They're one-of-a-kind collectible digital identifiers which are recorded in a blockchain to certify ownership, bragging rights and so on. Today's Brady's NFT goes on sale on the sports betting DraftKings marketplace in partnership with Autograph, the NFT platform co-founded by Brady himself. And Dylan Rosenblatt is CEO and co-founder at Autograph and joins us now. Wow, that was a mouthful. Dylan, great to have you on the show. There are lots of sports memorabilia fans watching this that's eyes glaze over when we talk about crypto and NFTs. Help us understand what people get if they buy one of these and what it means for those people. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Our first product offering is really exciting. We're going to be selling what we're calling the preseason access collection, and they're going to be Tom Brady preseason passes that give you access to a private community on autograph and preferential access to his first drop. And Wednesday will be unsigned editions. And then Friday are actually going to be signed editions of the of the collectibles. And every edition is personally and individually signed by the talent. So we think we have a really compelling offering for sports fans and collectors everywhere, and you'll be able to purchase them through the DraftKings marketplace that's committed to providing an accessible experience for every user that wants to step into this new NFT world. I, Dylan, I have to stop you there because I have some other compelling news for sports fans out there as well. I believe um, Lionel Messi has poked his head out the window and over in uh, Paris, the fans are going wild. So I'm just going to stop you there and I'm just going to show my viewers the pictures no of a waving... Mr. Messi there, big Paris t-shirt on. Saskia, can you hear me? Are you still there? Talk to me about the reaction from the fans here as they're seeing him wave and big smiles clearly all round. I am, exactly, yeah, the crowd went absolutely wild. Messi just waved outside the window uh, with a Paris t-shirt and the crowd once again let off fireworks. They went crazy. This was it. This was the moment that they've been waiting for uh, since yesterday, since early this morning. They finally caught a glimpse of Lionel Messi waving at the crowds. We expect him to then come down the stairs uh, and take a car that will then take him uh, to the American hospital, we think, in Paris, uh, where he'll have a medical checkup. Uh, and then, as I said, we've got these French media reports that say that uh, he'll be uh, holding a press conference tomorrow at the PSG Stadium, where we will find out more details about the year contract that uh, he will be signing with PSG. Julia? Yeah, and, and Saskia, I have to say, I can't help but contrast what we saw there with him smiling and waving to the tearful goodbye when it became clear, both clearly to him and to to the fans over at Barca that, that he was ultimately going to leave. I mean, wow, what a few days it's been for, for this player. Completely, Julia. And I think that's the thing, you know, as you said, he, he's spoken about his sadness at leaving uh, Barcelona. Uh, you know, he spent two decades playing for Barca. He has described Barcelona as his home. He's even described his children as Argentine Catalan kids. Uh, so it was a tearful goodbye, but the fans here are just so excited um, to welcome him. And he's got many friends on the team. You know, he's played with Neymar uh, in the past. Uh, you also uh, have had lots of other uh, footballers who have come out even today uh, saying how excited they were uh, to play with Messi, the greatest player in the world, according to them. Uh, so a tearful goodbye to, uh, to Spain, but a warm welcome here uh, by the fans. Julia? Yeah, absolutely. And they wasted their fireworks just a little bit early, but I'm assuming if he was in there, he heard them anyway. So um, huge celebrations there, lots of fun. Saskia, great to have you with us. Thank you for that. Saskia Van Dorn there over in Paris. And I just want to say a quick thank you to Dylan Rosenblatt. We will get you back on to talk about that non-fungible token drop. But um, unfortunately, Mr. Messi there, or fortunately, stole the sports show today. And that's it for First Move. Stay safe. Connect the world with Becky Anderson is next. And we will see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.